you also get into the really weird situation where, you know, someone, a man, an older man has what you need, which in this case is potentially investment. And, you know, I never, never, and nothing ever really bad happened to me, but, you know, I've had some instances where I thought they were interested in that and they were interested in something else, which I don't think is a story that many uh, male founders have. Well, you never know, but. Hi, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Two Penceworth. This is a series where we hear about the stories, the successes, and the challenges of female founders in climate tech. This series was inspired by the shocking fact that in 2022, for every one pound of VC money, less than two pence went to companies with female founding teams. So through this series, I wanted to try and do my part to shine a spotlight on the achievements of some fantastic female founders in climate. And I wanted to provide a space where we could celebrate their wins, acknowledge the challenges that they faced, but most importantly, share the resources, the advice and the tips that have helped them along the way. We are actually coming near to the end of this series now. And after this, we've only got two more episodes to go. And we've heard from some inspiring founders that have shared their stories with us. So if you've missed any of the previous episodes, please go and check those out. You can find them on my link profile you can find them on the above and beyond youtube channel or you can find them in podcast form on apple podcasts and spotify but today we are joined by lucy lyons co-founder and ceo energy policy and as a venture scout for an investor before joining carbon 13 and founding Pestrix with her co-founder matt now, you might have noticed that we're coming to you slightly later on in the day than usual, and that is because Lucy is joining us from New York. So, Lucy, thank you so much for joining us so early on in what is, I understand, a really hot day over there in New York. Thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here uh, and to talk about these really important topics uh, and also to, to share a bit more about the Kestrick story. Um, so, yes, I'm, you know, I think we're all reminded of climate change every day, but especially on days like this, it is I think 96 Fahrenheit in New York, where I am. Um, I'm taking the call from outside, sort of in between meetings. Uh, but yeah, very lucky to, to be here um, in New York. I haven't been here since uh, started our journey at Testrix, so it's been really fun to connect with, um, you know, other entrepreneurs in the city, investors and, uh, and, and mentors and so on and so forth. So um, what I can do to start is just give a quick sort of background on, on Testrix and what we're doing. Um, so we... So we, uh, Kestrix is a uh, climate tech startup on a mission to scale energy efficiency retrofits of existing buildings. So we're really starting off by solving retrofits data problem. So what we do is we diagnose energy efficiencies in the built environment. Um, the way that we do that is we're using mass thermal image capture. So think drones with thermal cameras strapped to them um, and AI to essentially map how heat leaks from buildings at scale, and then we're building a SaaS platform that basically informs uh, retrofit planning, pricing, and verification, uh, not for one home at a time, but for entire portfolios of buildings, entire cities at a time. Um, so that's really what, what this is about, is unlocking decarbonization of the built environment at scale, uh, starting with sort of a, a data layer that can underpin all of that. Um, just a bit of background on, on Kestrix and how we got started. Um, so. We, together with my, I met my co-founder Matt in the Carbon 13 Venture Builder Program uh, in their fourth cohort about a year ago. 
Um, and we've been really working on Questrix full time since. Um, it's been uh, an epic journey, honestly. We've, uh, we've, we've really enjoyed working together. Um, and it's, yeah, it's been really fun. But of course, it's, it's just the beginning. Amazing. And, and how soon on in that venture build? I mean, was this an idea that you came into the venture builder with or is it one that you formed after meeting that? So as a bit of context, my, yeah, so as you said, my background is, is I've worked in climate tech startups, mostly on the commercial side. Uh, and most recently, I was at a, an early stage carbon accounting startup called Plan A. And we, we worked there uh, with lots of full range of corporate clients to help them calculate, monitor and reduce their emissions. Um, I really, yeah, it was, it was a fantastic uh, sort of place to learn about sustainability and probably more importantly, the way corporates, you know, uh, tackle sustainability. So I'd always had in my mind to, to kind of continue working um, around that topic, but I did study urban planning in my undergrad. So zeroing in sort of on buildings in the built environment always seemed really exciting to me. Um, so it was actually Matt who, uh, I mean, the way I tell the story is that we formed a team very much on the basis of complementary skill sets ideas for what we wanted to do in the business. Um, and we're very careful about that because of course the most important thing in, in a business is your co-founding relationship. Um, but pretty much the day after we formed the team, it was actually Matt who turned around to me and said, hey, what do you think about building the Google Maps of heat loss to scale building retrofit? And I think my background in carbon accounting combined with my experience studying, studying cities and you know really wanting to decarbonize cities, uh, it was an easy sell. So, um, yeah, it's, it, that's kind of how we got started. And I think after that, of course, we had lots of work to do around testing. Who has a real need for a data layer uh, in retrofit? Is it individuals? Is it businesses? If it's businesses, what kind of businesses? Um, so those are all sorts of questions we answered together through doing uh, customer testing in the latter half of last year. Um, and it's put us in a, in a nice position today. Yeah, absolutely. And and so when did you actually come out of cohort four? When did you kind of spin out um, and, and and sort of go it alone, as it were? And, and how has the business evolved since that point? So we were part of, yeah, like I said, the, the fourth cohort of Carbon 13. Um, so the timeline was really, we started in September 2022. Uh, I think we formally teamed in October. And then we were kind of exploring for sort of October and November, talking to as many customers as we could. Uh, coming up with, with a name for the business. Um, and really by December, we had sort of a, a financial model, a rough business plan um, and a pitch. And that's what we went to Carbon 13 with. And uh, we were one of the 12 ventures they selected for investment in January. Um, and really from then, then it's been, it was full, it was full on and full time before that, but we, we sort of launched officially in January. Um, after receiving that investment. And yeah, I think a couple of key milestones since then have been uh, one, raising that investment from Carbon 13. Two, uh, we spent a lot of time applying for an Innovate UK grant. Or, um, yeah, and, and we, um, yeah, we were successful in an application for one um, in March or April. Um, so that was a big, yeah, big win for us. And I think that gave us really the wind in our sails that we needed to uh, win our first customer. So we're working with the largest social housing provider in the UK. Uh, we delivered a pilot for them. Um, and uh, yeah, I think after that, we were able to raise uh, a 500k equity financing round from a series of angel investors as well, which was, again, a big effort. But I think, um, 
you know, obviously we're, be we're better for it. And it's really great to have a team of people rooting for you on the sidelines as well uh, in the form of investors. So yeah, I think now the next few months are really about winning our, our next couple of paying customers. Uh, we do have one more that's just signed that we're very excited about. Um, but yeah, a few more in the pipeline and then, and then looking ahead to 2024, it'll be about raising a bit more money, building up the product. Um, yeah. And, and we also think last exciting milestone is we've welcomed three new team members this month. Uh, one of them just started at the beginning of this week. Um, so had to have that great first experience of getting everyone on the screen and seeing, seeing everyone's faces and thinking, oh my gosh, it's uh, multiplied by, by three X. So uh, yeah, it's been it's been really good. That's fantastic. So that's that's a lot to achieve in nine months, right? A grant, an angel round, and three new hires, and a paid yeah. pilot. It's been, a, I guess, a lot to achieve. A lot of work, definitely, to get there. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, we're lucky. I think we're tackling a really important problem, and I think the market knows that, and that's really prodded us along. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's incredible. How how amazing! And I really look forward to seeing with those three extra people, you know, what you what you go on to achieve, and and you know, watch this space over the next year or so. But how have you found? I mean, and have you found challenges throughout that process? I mean, what was the fundraising process like for you? And as a female founder, I appreciate you're not an all female team. It's yourself and Matt, but. Have you kind of found through that journey any adversity or any additional challenges that you would kind of construe as being gender-based? So I'll start off by saying, as far as female founders go, I'm about as privileged as it gets. So, you know, take what I say with a grain of salt. Right. I think that that manifests in a few ways. One, I'm white and American. I think white has its obvious advantages. Being American also, I think, it's weird. I don't know if it's my personality or whether it's just Americans in general, but everyone's like, gosh, you can, you know, you love to sell stuff. So, uh, you know, I'm kind of loud and outgoing and, you know, not, not every culture is, is taught to be like that. So um, those are two advantages I have. And I'd say the other kind of statistical advantage is that I have a male co-founder. Um, so I know that the, the two pence worth uh, statistic is about all female founded teams. And it's, it's interesting because I, it's actually something that I wanted when I entered Carbon 13. I thought, I would really love to partner with um, a woman and, and be an all-female team. Um, but it, you know, I think it, at the end of the day, there's just not that many women who are building companies. I think when we started in Carbon 13, it was something like 20% of the cohort were women. And on the first day, they got, they got news that three women had dropped out. And that's not, you know, at all a reflection of Carbon 13. They're, they're trying really hard, but it's just women aren't conditioned, I think, to, to take risks like this. Um, and there's lots of things that, that get in the way. So um, I think the other advantage I've had is I come from a family of entrepreneurs. So I've always been told you can do this, you know, you just take the leap. Um, and yeah, not everyone has that. So uh, however, you know, still being a, a woman, I think I've faced uh, some challenges that, that all women do. Um, interestingly, the process of raising investment um i almost felt like i wouldn't say being a woman played to my advantage but there were actually definitely investors who came on board and expressed to me that one of the reasons they did is because they'd been looking for a strong female founder to invest in um and they felt that that this was the right fit um so that was really exciting but i think that also brings in some imposter syndrome right you know i've i've often had the thought of like is this just a diversity investment? Like, 
which is ridiculous because barely again representing that. Um, and I think, yeah, I think some of the some of the harder things for me, and and I was reflecting a little bit about this before the podcast, have been less sort of direct, like oh, I can't raise money because I'm a woman, but more kind of the societal pressures around me as a woman. So I'm you know in my mid twenties and. I do think that it's been easier to raise for me than other female founders also because an investor will look at me and say, oh, she's unlikely to have children in the next few years. And I think that if I tried to raise in two or three years um, or longer and I didn't already have children, I might get that, or not that question, but like that, that you know, I, they might not even say it, but it, it's, a, it's a bias uh, that I know exists. And I actually think that part of my thinking around building the startup is I have to do this now or else... Mm -hmm it's going to be really hard for me, um, which is not a choice that any men that I know have to make. And of course, could I have been a couple of years more experienced when I, when I did this, uh, maybe would it, would that have been good? But of course it doesn't line up with, with the lifetime ones. And I think that's pressure you could get from an investor, but it's also pressure you feel from your family, for example, you know, I think my family has questions around like, Oh, so is this your main focus? Are you thinking about a family? How's that all going to work? And I don't see my, you know, I, I love my family, but I don't see my male, like my male cousins getting questions about that. So that's what I would say is, has been the most difficult. Um, yeah. And I think again, family's coming into it a lot because kind of classic entrepreneurship style. I've been uh, living on, some family's couches for the last couple of months and uh there's definitely a feeling of like oh you're working too hard like oh you know you never come up for air and I definitely wonder like would it be the same if I if I were a man but again it's very hard sometimes because you're just wondering this and you'll never know what it would be like uh yeah. but I also think that's I think that's good because you know you just have to press on and, and do it so yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's really fair. And I think you're right. You can't ever know if you'd been another few years older or if you were a man, how it would have been different. And I think that's I think that's a struggle that a lot of women that I've spoken to throughout this series have had, right, where I've said, do you feel you faced adversity? And they've said, well, I don't know, because I don't know necessarily if it would have been different if I hadn't been a woman. So was what I faced adversity or was I just coming under scrutiny and questioning because they would have questioned anybody about those things, wanting investment? So, yeah, it's really hard to tell, isn't it? Really, really hard yeah. to tell. Although now that I think of it, the one, the one thing I, yeah, interestingly, so I was, I had a first founding experience when I was way, way young, honestly, too young, uh, when I was 22. And even the difference between 22 and 26 is, I remember there were experiences when I was 22 where I felt like no one took me seriously at all. Um, right because I mean, fair enough, I was really young. And I, like, I looked quite young too, but you know, you also get into the really weird situation where, you know, someone, a man, an older man has what you need, which in this case is potentially investment. And, you know, I never, never, and nothing ever really bad happened to me, but you know, I've had some instances where I thought they were interested in that and they were interested in something else, which I don't think is a story that many uh, male founders have. Well, you never know, but um yeah, luckily, since building Kestrix, I have not experienced that. It's been much more professional. But yeah. who knows? That might be because of my age. I don't know. Yeah, partly age, I think. And you're, like you said, partly experience, confidence, and all the things you've learned in that, in that four years since. But yeah, you're right. Being a young female founder, particularly, and like you say, you're wanting something from someone. There is an uncomfortable power dynamic then, isn't there? Um, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which it can be easy to be exploited. Um, and so how have you kind of 
how have you found that throughout the rest of your working life as well and not just in your sort of founding I suppose experience but also coming up through the rest of your career path I mean you've had some really fascinating stints if you're happy to kind of share some of that journey with us um, in you know research um, and in um, politics for a period of time and so yeah you happy to kind of share just in a bit of a nutshell what that journey's been? Definitely Um, I think I'd start off by saying I don't think I would be doing what I'm doing I don't think I would have the audacity to be doing what I'm doing if I hadn't had really great really really strong female role models so um I think the original female role model for me you know is my mother she's she's uh she works kind of at the intersection of public health and media uh but has always really been into innovation and has always told me to chase my dreams so that's the first thing but in my sort of career I also uh I worked under a woman named Lubomila Jordanova who uh, founded the, uh, this B2B carbon accounting startup where I was, Plan A. Um, and I actually started working there because I thought her energy was really powerful. Um, I, you know, I saw what she was doing. I saw she was a young woman kind of knocking it out of the park. And I thought, I really want to be like that. Um, and I think it was through working under her that I saw what was possible um, if you just had the confidence and, 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 and took the leap. Um, so that was a overall positive experience. I think in my research jobs, it's interesting. I, I mean, I think this is a sign of hopefully of times changing and getting better, but I've, I've felt like I've been treated really well. Um, but again, I think that the fact that I'm here is a symptom of that. I think if I hadn't been, or if I'd been made to feel really bad, like many women are, I may not be here. And I think that's really why we see so few women doing this this stuff and it's yeah it's like actually there are there are women to invest in um let's not forget but the problem still starts at 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 sort of the beginning of the funnel like fewer Mm -hmm. women take the leap because the environment around them conditions them to think that they're not qualified or they're not worthy or they're not gritty enough or they see men only getting funded so why would you try um and i think it takes a perfect storm like the one i've been brought up brought up in to make a woman a woman do that or a really exceptional woman but again like yeah it's fine for me but if it weren't would I be here yeah I I think you're totally right and I think it's that it's that layering that insulation of confidence that gets built around you that starts and there's been a really key theme actually of a lot of the the women that I've interviewed through this series of either having parents that are entrepreneurs or having been or having parents that encourage them to do engineering at a really young age you know they've been shown they can do it they've been given the confidence that they can do it and I think that like that layering of of insulation of confidence starts that young and then it kind of it kind of builds up layer by layer right and 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 then gets to the point where you've got that almost suit of armor around you that gives you that that like you said the audacity um, to go out and and do those things um so yeah I think I think you're right it's it's something that kind of grows throughout your life uh, for sure but you're right there is a, a, a definitely a kind of a funnel and a pipeline problem and you can sort of see that as you said with carbon 13 and only did you say 30 percent of your cohort being female I don't want to put numbers on it that I don't know but I remember walking in there and feeling like wow it's gonna be hard to find a female co-founder because mm-hmm. not not because the the women who were there weren't great, but you know you have to find the perfect skills match, and you want to be able, you want to you need to work on the same things. Um, and I think there was only one woman who I talked to seriously about co-founding something, and we you know I actually we, we really got along, but we wanted to work on different problems. So 
uh, yeah, just statistically, it wasn't possible. And I don't think there were any all-female teams that came out of our cohort. I know there was one in the previous cohort. Uh, they're awesome. Open Hydro. Um, but it's, yeah, it was, and they, they acknowledged it, to be honest. Like, Carbon 13 stood right up and said, yeah, we see like a deficit of women um, and we're working on it. And interestingly, when they did fund the 12 companies, uh, there was much more of a gender balance. Uh, so interestingly, the women who did start many, I think a larger percentage of them made it through to getting investment, um, which is also either indicative of, of Carbon 13 making, you know, conscious decisions, but also definitely indicative, you know, really speaks to the quality of the the women are there and they're all doing really good things. I know a few of them have been on, on the podcast as well. They have indeed. Yeah, we have a strong representation of Carbon 13 alumni. So yeah, absolutely. Um, and one of the really key things that, that we like to kind of take from, from these episodes and share with everybody are those really actionable things, right? Those resources, those tips, that advice that you've used and have helped you along the way that you can share with other people that might not be aware of them and kind of help them to smooth their path a little if they want to follow in your footsteps. Um, so speaking to that, I mean, the first one that we ask people to share with us is a people-based resource. Um, and please feel free to give us more than one if there is more than one. But are you happy to share with us some of the networks, communities, people-based resources that you've used throughout your journey? Definitely. So the first one that comes to mind, well, interestingly, the first one that comes to mind is Carbon 13. Um, I think having been incubated in, in, a, in an accelerator with startups and being at the same stage of your journey, I just got off of a, a CEO's call where we all gathered and shared kind of wins and losses. And, you know, it's really great because it's not a place where you feel like you need to show off. Um, you've been on the journey. So you, you knew them when they were kids, kind of, so to speak, a year ago. Uh, so you can really, really be really open. So I think joining a venture builder for for entrepreneurs who want to want to build something is a is a recommendation I can make. Um, another community I'm a part of that is really meaningful to me is one called Sigma Squared, which is for uh, it's specifically for for founders under 26. Um, so not trying to be ageist, but I think trying to create a space for. Uh, people who take a slightly different path I think at most that at that age most people are not doing that um and there's again a really depressing representation of women there um, but it means that the women in uh in sigma are are more connected um i think uh, and then another one actually started by one of our investors uh is female founders rise which i've just become a part of but um the the, co the founder emmy is kind of you know, her mission is to connect female founders to each other to uh, you know, create value that wouldn't be there if they weren't connected. I think I haven't looked up the mission, but that's what it feels like. Um, and so, but yeah, I mean, I would love to see a, a close community for female founders in climate tech. It seems very niche, but like the niche or the better, right? Because then it's like you have a small community that's really tight knit instead of like a really big one where you know, your only thing in common is that you're female, which is supposedly supposed to be half of us. So, yeah. yeah, you're right. And I don't think that does exist, does it? Because as you said, female founders rise is female founders, but it's not vertical specific. No. And then you've got yeah. women and women in climate, women and climate. But again, that's not founder specific. So, yeah, that is a, a Venn diagram that hasn't really been exploited, I suppose, or hasn't there isn't anything catering to that. And add another project to my plate. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're busy enough, right? 
Um, and the second um, recommendation is a media-based resource. So it could be a book, a podcast, anything, you know, whatever that, that you've read or consumed that, that has kind of helped you on your journey. And again, please feel free to give us more than one. The more the merrier. So it's a bit sad, but all of them that I can think of are super male dominated. Um, I grew up listening to Guy Raz's podcast, the How I Built, How I Built This podcast which probably I can I can blame that for my like my dream when I was in high school was to like be on his podcast so maybe one day <laughs> I, I don't think I'm there yet um but he interviews a lot of female founders too and a lot of very sort of different sorts of businesses it's not just tech it's like when he interviewed the founder of Tate's Cookies and it's like how do you scale a bakery and the founder of Chipotle um so I've loved that I think uh again like books that I swear by unfortunately have nothing to do with female entrepreneurship they're just like the mom test that's my favorite book uh you know books that really or podcasts that really like show you what is the process like what what makes this sort of zero to one phase successful in a startup which has been the space that I've played in mostly I think even my uh when I was working at plan a I was I was one of the first 10 hires so it was really early, you know, um, and I love that that first phase. And I think what I, yeah, what I'm trying to consume now is literature that prepares you for the next phase. So I'm about to start a book called The Secrets of Sandville Road, which sort of someone recommended it to me on the, yeah, saying basically this is how you how you avoid um, getting the short end of the stick in a VC deal, which I think is even more important for women to read. Uh, but yeah, can't endorse it yet. But yeah, I'm looking for. I would love a podcast that that talks about particularly female entrepreneurship in the context of like the next stage. Like, what am I going to be up against um, if we do manage to raise a seed round or a series A round? Um, it's like, there's a lot less about that, I think, because fewer people get there, um, which makes it hard to study for. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in, in terms of not just going from zero to one, but how you start to scale, but at the earliest Scale, stages. yeah, but almost like one to three, you know? Right. Not even like one to a thousand. That'll be, you know, we'll have time for that. But uh, yeah, this next phase is, I'd say one to 10. Mm. Um, zero to one is like zero to one employees. And now we've got four and we'll have a couple more. So it is kind of like one to 10, which yeah. is still, you know, a huge multiple. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. And it's, it's yeah, it's when the your focus and horizon needs to shift and change and, and you need to start, you know, bringing bringing some more sort of competing things into play that you need to start thinking about. And it's how you start to juggle all of that and how your role evolves. And yeah, absolutely. Well, actually, tomorrow um, in our next episode, we're being joined by um, Sasha from Olio, who is a great example of a business that have have done that next stage and then some. Um, so, yeah, hopefully if you tune in tomorrow, if you have any spare time or watch it on catch up, we, <laughs> some of those questions might be answered. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, and oh, in terms of your sort of business role model, um, and again, you can give us more than one, and they do not have to be climate specific. Um, but if they are, that's great. But but who do you look up to from a business perspective? It's a great question. I think I think I really. Um, I mean, not, I, again, it's not a it's not a good answer for a podcast about female entrepreneurship. But I really look up to my dad. Um, he is the, the entrepreneur in our family and is a great sort of come from nothing story. He worked his way up and he has, he has a restaurant business, but you know, it's still, 
who taught me all I know about listening to customers and about making people feel special uh, and about taking feedback and stride and all things that I sort of live by. So I'd say my dad is my, my biggest role model. Um, another person that comes to mind is someone named Sophie Purdom. I've never met her, but she founded Climate Tech DC. Um, and I think I'm just really impressed by what she's done. Because I think, again, she didn't have too much experience. She can't be much older than me. Um, and just started this newsletter and has become such an authority in, in climate tech and really, you know, pushes the right narratives. And, and yeah, I don't know much about whether she has a media background, but she's also now has her own fund. Um, so I think she, and I think she's just done amazing things for making climate tech sexy for investors, which has been one of the biggest hurdles. Like I think clean tech, that was one of its problems, well, had a lot of problems, but it wasn't, you know, sexy to invest in, in hardware and to look into how, you know, tax incentives can help create a market for a business. But that's what this whole newsletter is about. And I think it's played a really important role in shaping the way people think about climate, making people want to work in climate, making people want to invest in climate. So, yeah. It is a great newsletter, Climate VC. Um, I didn't realise that it was founded by a woman, actually, because I read the newsletter, but I, I don't, yeah, it doesn't focus as much on who she is, I suppose. it's. Yeah, I'm 99% sure because when I first started reading it, she was always in there. Yeah, um, yeah she's a co-founder. I think there are other people yeah. involved, but. Yeah. Cool. Oh no, I'll definitely go and check her out. That's brilliant. Well, Lucy, thank you so much for joining us. I'll let you, you between meetings. So thank you so much for kind of grabbing this time to, to share those resources with us and share your journey with us. I really, really appreciate it and wish you the best of luck with all your new starters and, and everything you've got coming up at Kestrix. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I'm sorry about the background noise. That's all right. No problem. No problem. And thank you, everybody that's joined us um, at this different time this week. Um, as I mentioned there, we've got another episode coming up tomorrow with Sasha from Olio. And then we have our final episode for you next week. Um, so do please come back and join us. But for now, have a great afternoon, everybody, and have a great day, Lucy. Bye. Thank you for listening. Please follow the show to be noted of all future episodes. We've also saved videos of all of our interviews over on the Above and Beyond YouTube channel. Check out the show notes to find the links to this and links to all of the resources mentioned on today's show.